Hello, my name is Peter Cinnamon, and you're very welcome to a weekly Irish League podcast called Kicking Match. We're expanding the definition of the pod ever so slightly this week as we untie Northern Ireland's mixed bag in the international football realm this week. San Marino were slain, but the Finns poured cold water on Michael O'Neill's Windsor Park homecoming. Meanwhile, back in league action, things took a turn in the title race as we all questioned why did we ever doubt the Blues were somehow not going to make this interesting. Plus, Niffle kicked off the beginning stages of their five-year strategy by meeting some member clubs. We ponder what could the higher-ups be doing to help the little league that could grow. A quick non-Irish league slash non-podcast note before we get things started. I wanted to say a quick thank you to all those people that popped down and said hello on Saturday night at the Limelight in Belfast. A few of you checked out my boys, the Wood Burning Savages, either by streaming services or at their gig. It was great to chat to you, either in person or online. And yeah, if you haven't checked out that new single, Climb the Ladder, and you have a tendency for the rock sphere of music then you know you can go do that once we finish wrapping up things here chatting Irish League football yeah thanks for saying hello if you did fun guest this week another debut he's a podcaster a regular contributor to the northern ireland national team focused podcast the spirit of 2016 it's a cracker loads of great ones if you want to check out more there they are a keen Irish League Ideas man. Anybody who follows him on Twitter will be well versed in his passion for new and original ideas. Therefore, it is great to give a massive warm welcome to Stuart Cherry. Stuart, I come into this week. We are on the precipice of the split. I can see Section A and Section B in front of me. We've also had a week where there's few games. We've got the Irish Cup coming up. We've had Northern Ireland do their thing. Are you feeling jubilant, subdued? What's your level of excitement going into the next few weeks? Hey, Peter, it's good to uh, good to be on and thank you for scraping the barrel uh, to get me on uh, this week. I After the international break, I feel slightly deflated um, but going into the split, the the last five games of the Irish Premiership plus the Irish Cup semi-finals, I'm I'm really excited. I think it's one of the most incredible times of the season because there's so few clubs that have nothing to play for. You know, there's battles for first, second, third, four, five, six, and then obviously the the relegation battle as well. So no, really, generally quite excited. And um, despite uh, Pookie and Co. damping my mood this weekend, I'm I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. A lot to sink our teeth into between now and me saying goodbye. Stu, I don't want to get into hyperbole, but I genuinely believe this. This has been one of the most gripping seasons of Irish League football I have ever seen. There has been huge stories. There's been big-time players. There's been mad results. And we've all been transfixed by the top now the magnifying glass is almost being at the bottom because whatever happens it's going to be a big story but after this weekend one of the things for me that's in the back of my head to remind myself is that we may move on we may change but something always stays the same and that is when the going gets tough nine times out of ten 
Linfield get going. 5-0 against Dungannon. It comes off the back of two great results. A thumping of Newry. A big win in the League Cup final. Many of us thought perhaps as we get into some of these tough games, will they be able to come up and look? The thing that they have not been able to do is consistently get results against the top six. Thumping Dungannon and thumping Newry isn't exactly thumping a Crusaders or, or Cliftonville away. But when all of a sudden Linfield fans were throwing their hands up going, ah, oh, season's over, just give it a Lord, I'm not really bothered, I'm, I'm just frustrated, I want to rebuild this team. We sit after some of their big players are coming up. McKee's come out of the woodwork as a real star for them in this final stretch. It's a wee bit away, but it's not as far as away as it could have been. Linfield in second, five points behind. Are Blues fans potentially feeling themselves a bit more with five games to go? If they hadn't found their voice, I think, prior to the game against Newry, I think they definitely have now. The significance, I think, of the League Cup final, where it was beating, I think, what, a team in the top six for maybe only the third or fourth time, or a top six team, only the third or fourth time this season. I think they beat Glentoran, Korean in the league, and was it Cliftonville in the League Cup? Uh, or the Country Hampton Shield, one of the two. But the, winning the League Cup was such a catalyst, I think, for Linfield. They did it in such a controlled manner. And then to follow that up, 0-0 against Larne. Keeper pulled them out of it at the end. But absolutely demolished Nuri and absolutely demolished Dungannon. Um, and with you know room and time to bring on a 15-year-old, I think it shows where the, the confidence is right now. But yeah, their, their tails must be up. You know, you see McKee, Devine, Cooper all chip it in with goals and they've got momentum. We talk about that a lot, Peter, I think, with, within football and Linfield do have momentum now going into those final six games. Two of them, the first two games at home and then the, 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 the last three away, they go into that beat Crusaders, beat Glentoran and, and suddenly they'll have the, the wind in their sails. Um, I mean, they've been there, done that season after season. season. They closed down was it Crusaders like four or five years ago when they were like 12 points behind. So this is they know what they're doing and they just seem to do it better than anybody every single season. We often think of teams like Glen Torn as confidence teams, but really, usually the way Linfield have won these titles has been strong start, deal with the dips, keep consistent and never feel like they're really having to chase it. It's having the confidence to push on. And perhaps this is what these past few weeks could give them now you have those results against Corium even before the the cup final and they come in where other teams are probably looking to frustrate Linfield and, and put them out of the rhythm what we have now is a Linfield in rhythm and perhaps a confidence that look we're behind it we need to go for it Maybe they've greased the wheels so that they can now go for it and when teams are holding back and trying to consolidate Linfield have the muscle memory, to a certain extent, of these goals flooding Med forward. Because that's something that felt as though they were missing. They were missing this belief and the structure to their team where they can play balls out wide. They can build from midfield. Everybody loves to, to big up their key players like Shields, like Cooper. But I think, particularly the past few months, they have not been firing in all cylinders. So, yes, I don't want to overhype these results, but going into this split a bit loose 
I do think they actually are the team with momentum. It's easy to say that when Lauren have a draw. But there was a swagger to them. The Gannon didn't help themselves, let's be fair. We saw last season Divine getting the big goals. Players like Stuart coming on and digging them out of a hole at times. Chris McKee seems to be the man right now. After all the striking dilemmas that we've talked about on this podcast over the year. McKee looks like one of the first names on the sheet. And based on Friday night there, everything he's knocking about, hitting, seems to be coming off. He is a player in confidence. I thought he was very good in the League League Cup final as well. And, you know, he's backing it up. He's got, what, three goals in his last couple of matches. I think a lot of Olympic fans, certainly from reading things and hearing things on the likes of the space and stuff, I think you, your, your own pod, you, they talked about that. And I thought he's just been very impressive. And it's actually genuinely good to see. I I don't support Linfield, but I, it's, it's good whenever good players step up when the, the pressure is there. And I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a Linfield fan. I think David Healy's enjoying this. I genuinely do. The last couple of years, if you look at you know when they've won the league title over the last few years, won it by four points, by five points, and by one point in the last three seasons. But so many of those years, they are the team in pole position. And it's been like a Clifton Moore, Korean snapping at their heels. But this time, it, it, it's harking back to the, those years against Crusaders where they were closing the team down. And I think it's bringing the best out of Linfield. I genuinely do. You know, they haven't conceded a goal. They've had six clean sheets in seven matches. They're scoring goals when Lauren aren't. You know, Lauren have only got two in their last four. Um, and that includes the Irish Cup game. So, like, Linfield, they have that swagger. And you would argue that they're probably their two... Well, Vertinen, at least, would probably be the first name from a striker on the team sheet. Certainly not the first name on the team sheet. But, you know, he's been injured. I don't know if he's coming back between now and the end of the season. But this is where Linfield, I think, are really going to be tested. We all know that they haven't performed well against the top six this season. But what we do know is they absolutely bully and demolish the teams in the bottom six. And they have done so for fun over the past couple of weeks. So I actually think this is what's really, really enthralling. You've got a Lauren team who have just done so well all season, like so well all season. They've, they haven't, was it January 2nd was their last defeat. Um, and prior to that, I think it was way back in December, in November. You know, this Lauren team don't, don't do defeats. They haven't done them, you know, consistently all season, but they aren't scoring. You know, the pressure is all on them. Linfield right now with five games, five points behind, you know, they, they really don't have anything to lose. Or at least that's what probably what David Healy would be telling them. I know exactly what you mean. There's a certain wry smile coming with David Healy right now where he's had a frustrating season for sure. We all know where that stemmed from. And you have to be a manager in confidence when you're putting out a 15-year-old striker. Braden Graham is the name. He's like 15 and like hundred and something days like this is you know low end of 15 here I saw kind of talk that you know this is how big Linfield are this is the kind of strength and depth they can put out a player like this in this occasion we'll all remember that Glenn Avent did something very similar uh, earlier on in the season in the cup but the other part of this result also is that Dungannon lose 5-0 at home I'm not saying they were expected to get anything against a Linfield team who'd who'd fired so many goals the week prior. But those five goals going against them puts it now where 
their closest rival at the bottom is Nuri. And Nuri are looking great when it comes to goal difference against Dungana Swifts. Could that be the difference that almost puts Dungana into a situation where they have to have a playoff? But also Portadown, who have really struggled when it comes to conceding goals. Most goals conceded. And now, from being a fair bit away, it's now just two. So Portadown aren't striking distance when it comes to goal difference. And we all know at this time of the season better goal difference it's pretty much a point it is a point for all intents and purposes when it gets tight there at the bottom and then we also go to the top 7-0 5-0 look who's got the best goal difference in the league Linfield 45 is their goal difference now they're sitting there as the top scorers in the league which just seems mad if you think about it only a few weeks ago the way they've been setting themselves up so you talked about the mental battle there Linfield are only five points behind and all they need is those five as the way things are going because they've got those six goals of difference against Lauren. One slip. I know it's cliche, but a slip from Lauren and the pressure then just goes straight back on them. I think the big challenge though, Peter, and what's going to be exciting to see is it's how it happens now in the split with the top six teams and it's how Linfield, the guy, Limpie win all five games, sure they, they 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 win the league. You would you would expect. But can they do that? Can they turn the form around against teams where they have maybe struggled with this season, with the exception of Korean? I think three, four games they played this season in Korean. You know, if you listen to people like Peaky, Korean haven't laid a glove on Linfield all season in the four matches, no goals. Glens will feel that they they owe Linfield. Crusaders seem to always have Linfield's number. And I think Cliftonville have come up short against Linfield in recent seasons again when push comes to shove. Um, so it's going to one of the big games as well as that game against Lauren. So it's going to be fascinating. Like it really truly is. And as you say, Linfield are six goal difference better off than Lauren at this stage. So, you know, that is in theory a point push comes to shove. And at the bottom, you know, I'm a Portadown fan for my sins. And, you know, seven points behind is is a lot to make up. It's a lot to make up over five games. But the the informed team, well, both Middlestar teams are actually informed teams in, in the bottom six. The the one interesting thing though, Peter, I looked at the fixtures earlier on today, and Dungannon have three matches away in the split, but their final two games, home to Nuri and home to Portadown. Yeah, that could be a very significant turn of events for them as well. The fact that they've got those their two closest rivals at home. In, in the final two games of the season. So yeah, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be very, very tight, I think, at both ends of the table. I do worry Porter Down have left themselves with too much to do. But I think at the top end, I actually think David Healy, that wry smile that you're talking about, for some cynical reason in my head, I think does he know something that the rest of us don't? Well, first off, it's good to have our first out and proud Porter Down fan on the pod. Uh you've been through the ringer, albeit all us media types have been bigging them up over the past few weeks watching this story. As we're saying about Lauren and the pressure and the games that come their way, they had such a, a big lead, which has been cut down a wee bit. The main reason that's been cut down is because they go away to Korean. Korean are cut down to 10 men. And Lauren kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And they just don't get the result. And in the same way where we've probably talked about the confidence they have, keep winning, keep churning out. They didn't churn it out now. And 
for Tierney Lynch that's sitting down with this team and making sure they don't limp their way towards the end of the season. How can they just have a goldfish mentality? Forget about it. They have a few last gap chances. And of course, we could look back at this goalmouth scramble at the very end up at the Korean showgrounds. Could that have been the difference between Lauren having the title or not? They're clearly in the box seat. They've got this in control. And it also shows you the glory of the split in that you have to win the games around you. You can mix it up and change it up. Do you see that as two points lost for Lauren against Korean? I think context is always really important. It's two points lost because Linfield won and won so emphatically. It's not a bad point to get when you consider most teams going away to Korean would happily take a point. I also think when you look at it since Boxing Day, Lauren have drawn nil-nil with Korean, with Linfield, with Nuri, with Crusaders and Carrick. And if you're looking at those games, Peter, it's two points dropped. It was certainly points dropped at home to Carrick on Boxing Day. It was certainly points dropped away to Nuri at the end of January. And I would probably argue it's probably points dropped at home to Linfield because they could have killed Linfield's title challenge there and then. You're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I, I often think about that with that game where it looked as though that was a sensible, not a seasoner choice, but Lauren kept pushing, but they, they were happy to take it. They weren't really rushing on, and, and that probably was right. But we did think with that big save from Johns, that last-minute big diving save off the deflection of could that have saved Linfield's title charge? And for where we are now, it absolutely has. So will that be the doubt that creeps into Lauren? That, oh, are we killing games off? Are, are we able to put these teams to bed? Because... Those, those points could creep up if there is similar draws. The big benefit here is all the draws you're mentioning, it's nil-nil. They're a team that is so strong at the back. The cliche is, of course, you know, defences when you championships. But it's better to be in that position where you're not winning these crazy shootouts. Where if you can still keep it tight, then you can nick the goals. And a flip side to that probably is looking at Cliftonville and how they've dropped off, and about how so much of that has been topsy-turvy and the way they've conceded these goals, the way they've been caught on the counter, the way they've had these lapses of, of concentration and letting teams into it, and they've also been on the wrong side of some teams getting away with it, getting out of danger when it times out of 10 you would have put that ball away and and I tweeted there on Saturday about the game against Nuri about how half the half the league probably went through the ringer looking at that result down at the showgrounds finally Cliftonville break through with a couple of minutes still to play and then Nuri goes straight back up and it's 1-1 and it's pandemonium all to play for again but not for the first time this season when Yuri get a goal back down at the showgrounds, other teams fight back and, and get the points. Cliftonville get out of jail. For Nuri, so close once again. I think Nuri must, I think they have to change. If they uh, win the coin toss at the start of the match, they need to switch it around and not have teams play into that away end because they're getting absolutely spurred at the end there. We'll see with the Portadown match. But, you know, 
Cliftonville dug themselves out. You know, and that was a also quite an important victory, I think, for Cliftonville. Cliftonville haven't won back-to-back league matches since January. They went on this really weird run where they won loss, one loss, one loss, one loss, um, and then went three or four matches without winning. And that inconsistency has cost Cliftonville in um obviously League Cup went out to Korean, Irish Cup went out to Dungannon, and they've blown, let's be completely honest, they're not gonna win the Irish League. They're just not gonna do it. But what also helped them out on Saturday was two bits of, of I thought just individual brilliance um for uh, you know Hale's goal took it so so well you know beautiful strike and then for the winner it was a long ball out of defense an absolutely cracking header from Joe Cormley and then Ryan Kern you know Ryan Kern's been out for a whole host of the season but his quality just shone through but that was the really good thing I thought for from Cliftonville. You know, again, it's a difficult pitch. Uh, you know, as, you know, Portadown saw a few weeks ago, but for Nuri, you know, the luck isn't with them. You know, it really isn't, and and they'll be devastated. I think to have conceded so late on, in, in I think is that back to back home matches they've done that. So yeah, look again the, the the race as much as we are talking about the race between Limfield and Glarn, who's going to win the Irish League, the race for second place is still on because if Limfield slip up. Cliftonville are there. They're breathing down their, their their necks as well. And that second place could be all important in terms of that automatic space into Europe. So, you know, with Cliftonville only two points behind them, they'll fancy their chances to close them down. But yeah, for Nuri, you know, they've had such a horrible run of it. And as I say, we talk about momentum for the Swiss and the ports going into the, to the, the split. You know, Nuri, they've got no momentum to talk about whatsoever. It's that four straight league defeats in a row. You know they're they're not in a, they're not in a good shape. They've had five points in the calendar year twenty twenty three, and looking back at those goals that that Cliftonville score, and I think a lot of people look back at the drama of the Portadown one as well. Oddly, the goals look very similar. Like, is there something where you talk about that header from Joe Gormley? Yes, it is absolutely excellent to to just touch it on for for Curran to smash it in, but. Was it another podcast you were talking about teams being weak against the cross? That seems to be a bit of an Achilles heel here for Nuri as well. These balls come in and they're not able to deal with it, particularly later on. And these teams are rising to the challenge. And it was a similar strike to Archer's. Yeah. Yeah. It, so I'm just going to say, you're absolutely right. The Archer's goal in the 92nd minute against Nuri a few weeks ago was very, very similar. Uh, to Curran's uh, finish finish on Saturday, you're absolutely spot on. At least Nuri have that cushion. And in the same way where Linfield will want to get the win against Lord and, and then they can kind of get into the mixer. If Nuri can hold off Portadown, which will be the big one for them, that's still four points difference. But it's still in their hands. The same way you would probably say to Portadown, if you can't beat Dungannon and Nuri, then perhaps that's why you're not in the top division. For Nuri, if they can't at least hold those teams off, that's where the unfortunate thing where they can get dragged into it. And it will be nip and tuck around there. Cliftonville are fighting to stay up near the top. They are seven points off Lauren, So they would need to think we need to get one win against Lauren and then see what can happen for us. But they also need to keep off the chasing pack. And the chasing pack includes Crusaders who turn up, do the business at home as they've done numerous times. 3-0 against Carrick. Carrick's having this dip after high moments. They're somewhat fading away. Crusaders showed what a brilliant attacking team they can be. 
And what I really like about Crusaders is that they can make wingbacks dance and panic with Heatley and with Forsyth sometimes when he gets it out wide and, and Ross Clark, as you saw against Carrick. But it's also the ability to build from the middle. Laurie gets loads of plaudits for his headers, getting in the box at the right time. But you can see at times his strength and his vision just to get the ball at the edge of the box don't flap at it and find the right man is where Crusaders can calmly pick teams apart. It's not going to end with the Gibson Cup for Crusaders. They'll know where the big moments were for them, but they, they keep going and will look super dangerous in this split. Every team will be dangerous, particularly in the European playoff, but how Crusaders decides to mess things up for everybody else or have the ability to mess things up for everybody else will make for some fascinating watching. The three goals that uh, Crusaders scored at the weekend, the first two I thought were just sublime, really. You know, there was that surging run from Larry, And I think he was at one point, if you watch it on the highlights, there's like six carrot shirts just round him and no one can get near him. And Ross Clark, uh, Ross Clark, a beautiful finish. The second goal, I could watch that on repeat for hours and hours and hours. It's like Jordan Owen's classic, beautiful ball in, cracking header. I think he's done that, is it like 249 times now for, for Crusaders? I think he's closing in the 250 if he hasn't done it already. But just absolutely Incredible. stunning. And then the third goal, uh, was it Declan Cadell? It, it was an... Ugly. Yeah, yeah, you, you pick up the other ones. What, what was wrong with that goal? Yeah, yeah, he was there. It was sort of route one again. Gets the ball smashed at him by a, by a panicking defender. You know he reacted. From two he yards reacted, like... you know, for a man who was retired, you know, earlier on this season to come back in. And but that shows you as well, like the difference that he makes. He's there, Johnny on the spot, right place, right time. And I think that sums up a lot of the Crusaders goals this season. You look at Philip Larry, where he's got on the end of, um, crosses or shots or blocks by the keeper or, or defenders. He's just been there, right place, right time. And I think Declan Cadell summed that up. But Crusaders at home are just. I when I was I was home um, last Easter and I got to watch. Uh, so I went to the the Crusaders Linfield game and uh, funny enough they didn't lose that two one. But there is something about Crusaders at home this season. Um, their their home record is phenomenal. It's just away from home. It's where they've been. They've come unstuck. But yeah. There's something about them I really respect. The fact they keep going season after season. They're there, thereabouts. They're clearly one of the best teams in the Irish League. And they have a really good opportunity um, in the in the Irish Cup semi-finals. And, you know, on the back of drawing with Basel, you know, at the start of the season in, in the Europa Conference League, which was a tremendous result, they've just kept going at home. And, you know, Stephen Baxter somehow just does it season after season. And for the, was it the longest serving manager, I think you said a few weeks ago in world football apparently he is the longest serving manager in world football although i must say i feel like that is a stat that someone has said and we're now all just going well somebody else said it i didn't say it officially but somebody else said it and i don't think that they said it officially but we'll keep saying it until we find out that there's some fella playing in the or looking after a team in the estonian second division and he's been there since 85. So until that person has emerged and has been touted on Twitter, it is currently Mr. Stephen Baxter. And a lot of teams need Europe. I understand that. And we see these full-time teams needed to keep up where they are. But a team like Crusaders, I don't want to put the fear in them, but you look at them looking to get 
investment in during the summer. And if they were to miss out on European football and the bountiful cash that comes with it, is that a team that would then need to look at how they deal in the, the transfer window? Would they have to restructure how they set themselves up? Could that then lead to regression? Could that mean two seasons? I'm not saying they don't get into Europe, it's all over. But with these big teams like Linfield Larne, Glenshorn will come back again strong. If they don't have that cash and that investment, they could easily start slipping down. Potentially, I haven't seen their books. So there is a lot on the line for them between the end and the end of the yeah. season. Same goes for Cliftonville yeah. as well in, in, in that category, you know. I think Crusaders were... Money still talks in football. The importance of progress for Irish League clubs in Europe has maybe illustrated the fact that Crusaders did get through. They beat the team from Gibraltar to get through to the, to the to the next phase. So they've had, what's that, maybe 450, 500,000 euro that they'll get through on that, whatever the, the, the money is that they, they get in from UEFA. And that that makes such a difference. But you're absolutely right. You know, if Korean don't get into Europe, that's two seasons in a row that they haven't got into it. Obviously, Clifton went a few seasons without getting in. Balamina United, who had back-to-back European adventures, as did Glenavon, have now been out of Europe for two or three seasons. And Crusaders are... I think, uh, you know, a, a perfect example whereby they have to strengthen and perhaps go into the transfer market in the summer anyway. They've got an aging squad. There's talk of Jordan Owens leaving. They had to bring Declan Cadell. I appreciate it might have been injuries or lack of form, but they had to bring Declan Cadell, who retired last season, back out. So they do have an aging squad. And I think it is inevitable that they will have to go through another transition period that's a damn sight more difficult when you're not in Europe than it would be if you have two, three, four, five hundred thousand pounds that enable you to to strengthen, be that from the Irish League or outside it. So yeah, there's a there's a number of those clubs, really every club in the top six, quote unquote, needs Europe. Um, but with only four spots available, it, it makes life you know, pretty challenging, especially if Lauren will get Europe one shape or other Linfield you would think we'll get it although that's not a guarantee but really it's now five six clubs fighting or sorry yeah oh, Linfield Reds Crews Glens and Korean they're all fighting for Europe um, but there's only three spots available and of course the one thing that Crusaders have is the tickets still remaining in the Irish Cup so they've got their chance to do it and you're right about the rebuild I still think a lot of these players are still going strong but when some transfers out there for them don't become automatic starters, you can look through the recruitment. That's where it suddenly dips. You then lose a key player like Ben Kennedy. That's when you know you find it difficult. So they're a team that's never had a absolute gargantuan squad, but there could be issues of slippage, how much they can and how can they progress. Particularly also when you look at Corian and, and, and teams like that, they have they have big attendances. I know Crusaders still do relatively, but that's still money coming through that that could that could help them somewhat stay in the mix. I sound like it's all doom and gloom for Crusaders. They're they're still in every competition, all's going well, and I think they're brilliant. But they will have a big summer ahead, and you know what? The summer can come, Stu, because I I was in Balamina as I looked out the window, and the rain was falling, and I get a message, and it says. Yeah, that game you're going to, Balamina against Glenavon, that's off because of uh, the rain. Uh, a team that had three players out in Glenavon due to youth internationals, 
We all know Balamina's big drama with the keeper. Mm. I don't think it really impact one way or the other. I saw photographs of the pitch. Looked pretty grim. Plastic pitches, all that stuff that gets talked about a lot. I remember last season there was talk that Balamina and the council were potentially looking to change that pitch. How many times have we had games called off due to stuff like that? either the cold or either rain? And it just it just shows you that perhaps the way things are going isn't sustainable and something has to change because we're in the middle of March and, and games are getting called off. Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, Balamina have had some well-documented issues with their pitch over the past couple of seasons. Um, though I understand that it was relayed, was it during the last summer? And there seems to be a lot less issues this year. Um, obviously, I think without wanting to single any pitch out or sort of grounds team out or anything like that, of course, but I think the two biggest culprits this season will be Windsor Park. And it was pretty shocking yesterday for the international. Um, and obviously Newry showgrounds. Um, but I know Newry are desperate to to relay that or replace that with a, a relayed three or four G pitch. So it is disappointing, but I think as you, you alluded to with United's keeping crisis and with the three players unavailable for Glenavon, I know Glenavon were sort of, flipping a coin to see whether they would ask the game to be postponed or not. It might, in this instance, have worked out well for both parties. And I don't think either manager is going to be probably losing too much sleep over the fact that the game was postponed. Poll last week was related to Northern Ireland. I know not everybody is perhaps a follower of the Northern Ireland national team, but I did ask going into these games against San Marino, and against Finland at home, how many points would we get? You were confident. 70% said it was going to be six. It was not to be. Four would have been lovely, Stu. I feel like after those games, a win against San Marino, away at San Marino, and an unfortunate and frustrating 1-0 loss to Finland at Windsor Park, I feel like I might be the low man in this situation where I thought that they never really got going in San Marino and that really worried me going into Windsor Park. Three points isn't a disaster. It does add a bit of difficulty going into the rest of the campaign. I don't know if the other results have helped to Northern Ireland particularly either. But for me, but for you... Was it a sense of disappointment that you felt or was perhaps a loss like this to Finland somewhat of a reality check of where this team is? It is definitely sobering because I think with since Michael was reappointed, there's been a real degree of optimism because of what we know he has done for us in the past. And speaking to friends and obviously on the Spirit of 16 pod with Andy and, and, and the guys, we also are very realistic. The The squad that Michael inherited in 2023 is a per relation or per in comparison to the squad that he inherited in 2011. There was a real fantastic generation of players that, that he had. And the reality is, you know, we get to the Euros in 2016, we get to the World Cup playoff in 2018, and we get to the Euro, Euro playoff in 2020. You know, that's the phenomenal record in the history of Irish football. There's very few teams that have been able to 
play as well, you know, over that period of time as those teams did. And I think in many ways, people thought that Michael left at the right time for him because he saw the teams on the decline. And that decline, I think, was in um, was evidenced yesterday at Windsor. Um, there was an absolute A for effort. Worked incredibly hard, Thompson and Shea Charles in midfield in particular. But the real problem was quality. There was uh, poor, poor quality of passing, poor quality of set pieces, shocking quality of set pieces. We didn't take the chances that became available to us. Dion Charles, Josh McGuinness in particular. I think some of our top performers, and I'm thinking the likes of you know, Craig Cathcart, who I thought defended well, but his distribution and passing was poor. He was caught out twice. I thought Paddy McNair had probably one of his worst performances in, in the shirt. Um, I thought Thompson worked hard, but didn't produce much. Um, and that was very, very disappointing. And I also think that the, the frustration I had was in the last 10 or 15 minutes, we really didn't put them under much pressure at all. Overall, though, you are looking for crumbs of comfort. Um, and I felt that we've got a young team. There was only six, six out of the, the starting 10 um, outfield players had, had under 30 caps. Okay, so that's a lot of inexperience. And that inexperience was exposed. Glenn Kamara ran the show without being necessarily, you know, dictating play every time he got the ball. He did run the show. He bullied some of our players, I felt, in midfield. And it was a good baptism of fire for the likes of a Shea Charles um, on his sixth or seventh cap. You know, but it was his first, you know, it was a real, real good test for him. Um, Connor Bradley, I thought, was excellent. I thought he defended well. I thought he was a, a real attacking threat, especially in that first half. There were some nice triangles between Shea Charles, Connor Bradley, and Dion Charles. And they, you know, cut open the, the finished defence and, and the goalkeeper made a fantastic save in the first half. Um, we looked purposeful at the start of the second half. And I think the period of time when Josh McGuinness came off the bench, that offered something different. He's big, he's strong, he's a good target man, where Washington and Dion Charles are not. Um, the problem we had with Washington and Dion Charles is Ivanov and the other centre defender for Finland, they, they, they just won every header. And it was only when Josh McGuinness came on that we got any forms of flick-ons, though it does seem quite a redactive way of playing, just that long ball. But... Look, they they weren't better than us. They took the, took a scrappy chance and we didn't take our scrappy chances. And that is the difference. And it, we were punished. Um, but I think it is, without necessarily being a wake-up call, I think it lets us know where we are at, who we have, and where we have to go in order to even remotely think about qualifying. Because as the on the, the Spirit of 16 pod, as we talked about, when we have been successful, we have been successful primarily at home. 2016, undefeated at home. Three wins and two draws. 2018, qualifying, four wins, one defeat. And then in 2020, two wins, a draw and a defeat. So if that's the one defeat that we're allowed in this group at home, okay. But we're going to have to back that up with, with four wins. There is plenty of things to look back and say, aren't they great? Connor Bradley. What a particularly great performance against Finland. What a player he is and will be for Northern Ireland going on, pushing forward, 19 years of age. Shea Charles, another brilliant player 
feels like our mini version of Jude Bellingham. Uh, this player that has nice stature about them, is able to pick passes as well, lacks a bit of noise currently, and that probably will only come from playing men's senior football. He looks like a real keystone moving forward. Something about this squad, and it's maybe over-exaggerated because of the amount of players who we are missing here. It is absolutely bare bones when you think of some of the real experienced players from Evans to, to Dallas and beyond. But in turn, looking at the squad, it, it kind of has echoes of the squad Michael Neal had before the campaign that got them to the Euros. Like, they could really do with one campaign to season this team, get them playing together, give them a bit of fluidity, and know what's going on. There's something about this, and of course, because it's a brand new manager coming in, of a first few games of a season, where you're still a bit rusty, you're not really in full flow, and shape-wise, I know why Michael goes for this. There's three at the back, five at the back, wing backs, you know, three in midfield. But it does put, and we can even see it at the lower levels in Arsenal, it does put a lot of pressure on the forward players to run the channels, hold up the ball, bring other players. And at the minute, it's not like those players are particularly our, our strength. And what we also lacked, and this will hopefully come with the likes of Dallas, if, if he was maybe to play in the three, we know Davis will go straight into that three. It's the composure to sit in the ball and go, right, we're going to hold it here. Or you need to ping that pass out wide to the wing back. Or, or when you have the ball on the edge of the box, putting in a decent cross. Sometimes they did all the hard work and then just ballooned the cross or hit it low on a cross. And you can't undo an experience, can't create experience out of nowhere. And there's great potential in this team. And I don't want to be too down about it. But it's kind of now looking at a garden of crops. It's an allotment that you're looking at and you're just like, I don't think this has the legs to harvest the kind of yields that we're after. No, Peter, the problem you have, though, is, and I listen, I agree with you. And friend Ben said the same thing. He said, oh, look, it's, it's a campaign too early. Sure, I, I, I get that. But the problem with international football now is you, you don't have time to bed people in, the betting people in, it, you, you can maybe make that argument in a Nations League campaign. But with World Cup qualification now, so difficult to, 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 to navigate through in, in Europe, where it's just the, the, the group winners and was it eight out of the nine second place teams go into a playoff. Um, it's very, very, very difficult. And we are in a group where Denmark, depending who you speak to, Denmark lost at Kazakhstan. They conceded two goals in five minutes at the end to, to, to lose. This Danish team is on the back of a, a poor World Cup. They are going through a transition period. They are a team to, to, to pounce on. And they're certainly nowhere near as strong as some of the other part one countries that you can come up against. Germany, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Croatia, England. Denmark would be the poor relations in, in, in regards to, to those. Slovenia, I think, who were the second place nation. I mean, they made a hard work of getting goals against San Marino, took them to the 55th minute to get a goal. Um, Slovenia and Finland and ourselves are all separated by about three places in the FIFA rankings. So the point being is you never, you're not going to get many better opportunities 
to potentially qualify through a European Championships based off the group that we have. You look at the group that we had in 2020 with Germany and with the Netherlands. That's, that's brutal yeah. in comparison. Absolutely brutal. So, but I, I do agree with you. And Ali McCann, Steve Davis and Shirt Dallas, there's an argument that all three of those players will come into midfield if available. Corey Evans, would Corey Evans pick, be picked if he was available? Probably. So take it that way, but we, we've lost our entire midfield for those two matches, and in particular against Finland. And what I felt looking back on it, and, and from a sense of watched the highlights back again this morning, um, so I'll, 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 if I burst into tears, you're going to have to excuse me. But <laughs> that was the problem, especially in the second half. We were not playing through the midfield. We were bypassing midfield. And that was the issue. And I also felt there was an over-reliance on corner Bradley. Jamal Lewis, when he got the ball to feet, decent defensively, good positionally, but offensively, there was also three or four situations in the second half where you were screaming, Jamal, get it into the box, whip it in with your left foot. And he didn't. He cut back, cut back and looked for McNair or um, uh, Thompson to, to lead the ball off to him. And I felt there was just, there was a sharpness that was missing last night, a real sharpness and clinical edge and, Again, you feel like you've, if you follow Northern Ireland, um, you feel like you're saying this time and time again. But look, there's things for Michael to work with. And the one thing is for sure, we have faith and confidence in him you're right. to get this right. And I would just say, bad day at the office. Let's dust ourselves down and, and, and go again in June when we're away to Denmark. They're off the back of a long season. And, and maybe it's time for us to capitalise there. My limited football knowledge in regards to tactics and all the rest i i look at this and this is why i got a wee bit scared of the san marino game where you are technically playing the worst team in their national football and we we almost didn't have the confidence to just ping it around the box we didn't have that and that comes from new manager being concerned and also they just didn't have you know there's no point getting into fifth gear you know you, you had the goal early you know let's not wreck yourselves or that type of stuff so that's where there was a few alarm bells for me and this is a group where Sunday was likely to happen or was one of the results it's you go up against them and you hope the rubber of the green goes your way and and try and play the averages and when you play the averages sometimes you fall on your sword in many ways and I wonder now how does Michael O'Neill go into these games going actually are we going to see a campaign of you know, half chances for both teams then we get to the final 70 minutes and then it's a lottery or it just ends nil nil and that and that's where you go well you're you're probably going to win half and then lose half and yeah. draw the other half you know you know so look it's up to them i, I think we're limited in, in quality in some areas and it's almost you prefer a situation where and that's probably where we are where teams are more confident going against us so we can rope a dope them because but we know that's what we we do really really well it's a good point. i don't know if kazakhstan away is a is a rope a dope fixture because they're probably going to do what we tried to do to finland where play a bit better than them and try and create chances it could just be an even stevens group so yeah i think it will be and i, I think that you, you talk about that rope of dope you're absolutely spot on but you look at it over the last couple of years one of the hallmarks of michael's reign the first time round was beating teams in and around us and what i felt over the last two years in, in, inclusive of of last night we've lost that a bit you know going away we, we didn't beat bulgaria at home we lost to them away you know we lost twice to greece you know we lo- lost the kosovo um, and and 
and and didn't beat Cyprus in the two matches that we played in the Nations League, and then even last night. And look, I do think there is a confidence rebuild. Barakov seems like a really good manager at youth level, under twenty ones. He did fantastic work with our under twenty ones. I just think the 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 senior job was too much for him. Is my honest view, and you know you throw in the Slovakia game, so I think there's a confidence rebuild that Michael needs to go through at the moment. Um, I feel that there is a restoring faith in our systems and our structure. I'm glad you're not talking to me too much about tactics, as I don't have an absolute clue. I I struggle with t- tactics on FIFA, let alone in 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 in, in, in real football. But um, yeah, look, th- there's not much you can do. It's a game that is, it was a 50-50 match, in my opinion, whether we we're going to win or lose it anyway, but. I would have been disappointed at the start of the game with with a draw. Uh, and, you know, as soon as they scored, I would have bitten your hand off for it. I'm going to end on just... Uh, I just thought I, I, I mentioned this. There's no real discussion. There's no real debate. But I just thought it's something that should be referenced because it's an interesting stat. And that is that... Uh, I don't know what it was for the Finland game, but for the San Marino game... Was it only three players that started the game were Northern Irish born? I don't want to get into the kind of any kind of silly politics or, or whatever. It's because as a Northern Irish fan, I somewhat enjoyed poking fun at the Republic of Ireland for having so many people playing for their team that had Scouser accents. If you have the ability to play for Northern Ireland, happy days. If there is a big book of championship six-foot strikers uh, lying about the place that have... Uh, Belfast grannies let's go through that because that'll be fairly handy but it, it's just an interesting changing of, of, of the times that we that we have this unique makeup of the squad yeah no 100% and look I, I think it is and again not wanting to get into the political side of things it's very disappointing when you think of someone like a Mark Sykes could be playing for us and could have been starting the other night and he's not um, and of course it would be great I, I, I honestly right now I couldn't I'm conflicted because in one sense, you would love a team of, of people born, you know, in Northern Ireland, you know, Irishman players playing for us. That would be, that would be fantastic. But that's not international football. You know, you look at a couple of countries, you look at the likes of, um, during the World Cup, there's this brilliant um, stat went round about the, uh, where players are born and who they're playing for. Yeah, exactly, and you look yeah. at countries like of Algeria and Morocco, Algeria, they, I think they've got 40 odd million people each and, and their squads were full of French born Algerians and the Moroccan team had players born in France, they had born in, in Belgium, they were born in the Netherlands, playing for Morocco. So in one sense, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. And as I say, I, I absolutely agree. But if our English-born players have the same impact for us as the English, Scottish and Welsh-born players had for the Republic in the late 80s, early 90s, I will be uh, I'll be absolutely delighted. It's just the changing of things, really. And uh it's it's funny because you're right like in europe with all these countries that people are constantly moving and changing around it's it's so much more commonplace i often think of the partnership for both country and club of Miroslav Klose and lucas podolski who were you know both speaking to each other in polish to try and put off other defenders and yeah. the big turkish contingent that that's been in that uh German side for a while and of course Switzerland yep. is uh, is a real medley of, of different nationalities again not Austria bad. too yeah. yeah yeah so not bad wrong or different it's just it's an interesting new kind of era and I think international football is just 
changing in regards to absolutely we had all said before I, when I think of this I often think of one player who I remember seeing touted as a potential player for Northern Ireland Leroy Lita I always remember talk of him <laughs> trying to find a Northern Irish granny to be brought in so and Delhi Alabola as well was actually named in the program in March 98 against Slovakia in Laurie McMenemy's first home game didn't didn't make didn't make the uh, didn't make the squad didn't make the flight <laughs> yeah well, here if we could uh, if we could have tried to get that Harry Kane thing sorted out early, see if there was any Belfast yes. grannies there, we would have been absolutely laughing. But to your point, Pete, I actually think now with the change in things, with people moving away, you know, if someone feels Northern Irish and they want to play for us, I, I, I it doesn't matter, you know. And and the same point in time when people move into Northern Ireland whose parents aren't from there, it's fantastic, and that's what we want. You know, you just want it to be a team that everybody, irrespective of where you're born or irrespective of where your parents are born you know, can feel part of um, and feel, you know, proud to support and proud to play for. And, you know, as I say, irrespective of, 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 of anything else, that that's the most important thing. At this point, usually I would say hello person across the computer screen from me sharing this wonderful, warm, cosy pod. What do you make of all the topics of the day? And you were the man that very much inspired this. You are someone online, I'm sure if they're... A listener out there that's a keen Irish League fan, they'll they'll see you with your vitality online, always putting ideas out there, open to discussion. It's something in regards to the Irish League you think about a lot. You think about progression, revolution, evolution, and you come at some issues or potential issues down the line that you see with a sense of wonderment and inquisitiveness and... For you, when we look at the topics of the day, they still remain summer football, all island league. We look at the split, and this is the one thing that I find absolutely fascinating and I think is really interesting as we move in the next season. That when we look at the split, there is a round, it's round 34, the first one in. It's all on Fridays at 7.45. What do you make of all these big topics, Stu? Ooh, that's a... Uh... Nice, uh, nice broad one to get into, Peter. Um, it's I, I, I love what you've done with the pod, and I think there's some other good Irish League pods out there where they try to address these topics. And in one sense, I think it's great that we're, we're, we're talking about them. It goes without saying that the Irish League has made some big strides in the last 10, 15 years. And I think there's a lot of people that deserve a lot of credit for that. Um. However, I think sometimes when you bring up the idea of what else we need to change, people get quite defensive and say, oh, well, you know, it's going so well. If it's not broke, don't don't fix it type situation. But in business or whatever other or training or whatever other aspect of life, you know, when is good, good enough? You know, and when is enough enough? And when can you not be when you, you should be looking at things, you should be looking at saying, well, Okay, this has gone well. So, where can we make improvements? I think first and foremost, if you take the do you do summer season or do you not? I think there's a few things that need to happen before that. I think you need to understand where does the Irish League under Niffle go? Is it do they look after all club football, both senior and intermediate, or do do Niffle then say, well, look, you know what, moving forward, the Irish League is just going to be senior, so that will be the Premiership as it is right now. And do you bring in sort of like an invitational championship, which is primarily just senior? 
And I think intermediate football needs to potentially be looked at separately because right now you've got two senior leagues and intermediate league. And if you want to make changes in theory, you have to get support from all member clubs. And I feel that's where there, you, you might get into some form of issues because you look at Larn, Linfield, Cliftonville, Crusaders, Glentoran, their aspirations might be very, very different to what they are for Dollingston, Lisburn Distillery, Armagh City. So I think that's the thing you need to sort out first and foremost, Peter. The second thing is, if you're looking at the seasonal change, first thing is you need to say, well, if you are going to do it, why do you want to do it? Okay, what are the benefits for it? And the three options I could see that you do is you maintain the status quo, which I'm sure a lot of people want to do. The second is that you you tweak the season. I spoke to a few people about this. So whether you bring in an extended winter's break, so maybe throughout January or after January 1st, you have a break for five, four, five, six weeks, which means the end of the season goes into May. Potentially the Irish Cup final could be going to do a month later. The Irish Cup final could be in June. So you have a shorter summer break, okay? What that would maybe mean is the teams would have a couple of weeks off and then they're straight into European football. That might be an option. Well, the third option is you say, well, you know, we're not going to make that tweak and push the league back a month. We're actually going to go through the wholesale changes and, and embrace, you know, the the I suppose the calendar year season that they have in a lot of the Scandinavian countries, what they have in the US, with the MLS, uh, and they have in the League of Ireland. So I think those are the three of the options that you can look at on that side. But the thing that I thought when you look around different leagues and different sports to see how they work, and one thing I've liked about following sport in North America, I know you're a big NFL fan yourself is that there's a lot to, to criticise it. Like, are, are they supporters or are they consumers? Are they more concerned about making money or, or making memories? Like, you know, who knows? You know, the US is such a, a commercially driven industry and country anyway. However, one thing I think they do very, very well is with the marketing of their sport, but the scheduling of their sport. So you look at it, say, American football, NFL and college football are the two most popular sports here or leagues here, they have college football on Friday nights and Saturdays, and they have their professional on Thursdays, Sundays, and Mondays. So the two are not competing with one another. And I think that is the, one of the biggest problems in the Irish League right now. If you look at the Football NI app, last Saturday, there was 220 men matches taking place between or either kickoffs at 1, 2, or 3 p.m. And then if you're thinking about two squads of, say, 16 to 20 people each, so 40 people a game, you're looking at about 8,000 people that play football in Northern Ireland that are not able to attend Irish League games at 3 o'clock on a Saturday. They can't do it. Plus, there's another, I think I counted, it's like nearly 300 youth matches happening in the mornings. Okay, it may be a bit more accessible. But the point being, and I played football back home, I'm sure you played it as well in different leagues. And the reality is, if you're a football fan in Northern Ireland, you can either play football or support the Irish League. You can't do both on a Saturday at 3pm. You can't. And to me, I appreciate this tradition. I appreciate it's the routine that people have. But it's a lot easier to move six Irish Premiership matches every week that could potentially accommodate existing fans but new fans than it is to move, as I mentioned, 
300 plus matches on a Saturday where people who work, et cetera, et cetera, can't attend. But that that's probably the most obvious observation for me about the calendar side of things. On this podcast, on numerous occasions, I will play devil's advocate. And sometimes that's for things that I would personally believe. Sometimes it's things that I don't personally believe. I'm not saying I do it very well consistently, but Stu, I must say, to quote and to do the maths and be able to say that there is, let's say 8,000 was your shorthand maths, 8,000 people on a Saturday just passed who you would argue are potentially the key demographic of people that you'd want to be bringing to your games your live product and you would argue are likely to be key fans of the Premier League themselves. Your rationale is one of the most synced pieces I've ever heard for not one particular change of the way things currently work in Northern Ireland, scheduling and football-wise, but to say this is the problem this is a cold hard number an issue this is a this is a it's a rock in the way of progress and how can it be looked at and many people who would argue for some sort of change in the way football is set up here in northern ireland would be this is one of the reasons why you have to try it i think you have a lot of clubs now saying if you were to based on what's being said in the media we can all name, particularly the top clubs. I know Nal Curry's a big proponent as well. He said with all those games that Port Island played uh, in the evening in particular that there is a lot of a big push in some sections of the league to change it up, whatever that might mean when games are played. That might be a Friday, Saturday evening, open it up to Sunday and there's a wide berth on, on where people want it to actually be positioned on the graph a question i would say because this discussion keeps coming up and it's probably a question that you would be putting to this niffle strategy planning group that was launched i can see last week with member clubs part of the new niffle five-year strategy how do we answer this question and when i'm not saying the irish league needs to go through some sort of referendum style debate but if there's people saying we should change it in x amount of ways is this is going to be something that i talk in this podcast for for four years yes and there's and there's no because if the answer is no then we know but i don't think but if the answer yeah. is maybe or yes how do you get to that that i, I know people who are so adamantly for summer football yeah. or they're for all island league and I often think, well, how how can these people who are really keen Irish League fans get their answer one way or the other? Well, the thing is, Peter, like I actually personally, from speaking to various people, coaches and different people who are involved in clubs, I, and it's not, we don't have the time to do it now, I'm sure you've got things to get on with, but I personally think football in Northern Ireland needs a bit of an overhaul and it needs a restructure. You know, when you look at it, you know, I understand in the Irish FA Council, there are the Irish league clubs are less represented than the county Antrim FA or they're less represented by the amateur league. 
And so their voice is minimized. The Irish FA Council is more dominated by junior, intermediate and amateur clubs. And the reality is that's fantastic because they are what you would call the participants. But if you're looking at where we're going to have progress and where we're going to have performance, it's going to be on the Irish League, in the Premiership, Championship and, and, and the Senior Intermediate Leagues. I think looking at it on, on the surface, the Irish League needs investment. It needs investment. Linf- uh, Cliftonville haven't been able to increase their um, their home attendance in like five or six years because they don't have the facilities to do it. They don't, they cannot grow. They are actually, you know, if anything, their their attendances could go down because their their main stand is condemned. They can't use the top tier of it. So that's a club that's been absolutely thwarted in their ability to progress. Newry Showgrounds, you look at the, the, the pitch the other day, you know, th- apparently there's no, three, there's a limit of three and four G playing services in the whole of South Down. So I think the investment is absolutely crucial for Irish League clubs to progress. You need it. You need it from from the spectator facilities. You need it from the from the playing surfaces. You need it for training. You need it for you know fans, female fans. You know the, there's the toilet facilities and some grounds like oval and stuff. You know, they're just not fit for purpose. And the other part is I think you need to look at youth football. It's very unregulated, very unstructured. And I feel that for me. There needs to be a wake-up call. You know, football is the most one of the most important sport for me in Northern Ireland. It's one of the only sports that brings people together as frequently as it does every single week, every single day. If people are playing matches, and I feel like it's also living and operating in a really competitive market. So you look at you know what the GEA are doing. You're looking at what rugby are doing. The GEA and rugby across the island of Ireland have never been more popular. And football are competing not just for sponsors, not just for fans, but they're competing for talent. And I feel that, you know, there was 22 players this season that played for clubs in England and Scotland that are ex-Irish League, and that's amazing. And you look at where clubs um, and from similar-sized countries, or countries not too much bigger than us, you know, say Denmark's 5 million people. You look at places like Slovenia, 2 million people. They are they are both export leagues and in, and development leagues. They develop really good youth players and then sell them on for profit elsewhere. And that's what the one of the things the Irish League should look to do. So look, there's been big strides in terms of the professionalism. There's been big strides in terms of the conditioning, um, and there's been big strides for me in the outlook of what the league is doing. You know, you look at the the, the deal they have with the BBC. It's fantastic. You know, 50-odd games a season that are being screened. They've got different broadcasting partnerships with the likes of Sky. They've got a few 11 sport as well for international stuff. But I do think they need to understand that they are in a competitive market. And the other thing, one of the reasons I personally would be in favour more of a, a summer league is you're also competing against the Premier League and, and, and leagues in Scotland. Like every single week, hundreds and thousands of fans are leaving from Belfast Airport, Derry, uh, the ports in Larne to go watch clubs in England and Scotland. Now, you're not going to change that overnight. But if there's three or four months of the season that you are playing that those leagues are not, that's an opportunity. You play games on Friday night when those leagues are not playing, that's an opportunity. But I just think what Niffle need to do and what the IFA need to do is get around the Irish League, promote the Irish League as much as they can, make people realise that the Irish League is the is the pinnacle of football in Northern Ireland. It's our top, it's our national league and it's quality. 
there's quality players playing week in week out and I feel for so long it's been it's been given a disservice um, Linfield were 30 seconds away qualifying from the group stages 30 seconds you know, progress is happening um, and I just think they need the investment and I think to a degree the courage to make the changes that will enable the league not just to continue to evolve over the next 10, 20 years but really improve uh, and give us all a product that we're just, you know, as passionate about in 20 years as we are now. Well, that is an impassioned plea for reform. Really interesting stuff. And it says to me, Stu, as I look ahead to my rather empty summer schedule, that perhaps we will talk about this and other topics again in the future. Before you scoot and skedaddle, uh, first off, Good luck uh, with your Twitter mentions this week with all that stuff. I will quickly look ahead to the games that are happening this weekend. We have two games in the Cup. Lorne against Balomina, Dunganet against Crusaders. There will be victors and they will create an Irish Cup final. I'm going to put it out to you as my poll this week. You can vote. It will be open until next Monday. Who do you think is going to win the Irish Cup out of those four? It looks likely to be a Lauren Crusaders final. Is that the way you see it? Because Dungannon have been able to shock teams, been able to pull it out. I think we need an occasion. You know, like, listen, it's on merit. And Dungannon has done absolutely brilliantly as a Ballymena United. And in many ways, it's a shame it couldn't be a Ballymena United Lauren final, uh, the way that the draw was made. But I think from a spectacle standpoint, a Crusaders Lauren final would be fascinating. I think it really would. I think, you know, the Irish FA, I'm sure, would like it as well from a crowd perspective. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, against the final, it depends if ha I mean, what happens. If Lauren win the league, they have a chance for a double. They haven't won the Irish Cup or the Irish League. If Lauren wow. don't win the league, you know, how fragile could they be if, if they get to the final? But I, I expect Crusaders and Lauren to progress. David Jeffrey, I think, has got Balmain United to was it eight or nine finals. The man is just—he's just immense when it comes to to cup football. And you know, Dungannon did up tremendously well. But I think, from a spectacle standpoint, a Lauren Cruz final will be fantastic. And if that does happen, I honestly, I think if Lauren win the league, they'll win the Irish Cup. I think if Lauren come up short in the league, and they, and it's a Lauren Crusaders final, I think Crusaders will will add another nail to Lauren's. Coffin. That game being played between Dungan and Crusaders, who've seen Dungannon do it against Cliftonville, can they do it against Cruz? We'll have to see in that neutral venue. Lauren Balamina, can Balamina turn up? What will their goalkeeping situation be? We'll also have in the league Glen Torren playing against Portadown, and we'll also have Balamina against Glenavon. That wasn't played this weekend, it's being played on Monday. Stu, I'm going to plug Spirit of 2016, a podcast you are on. It's not yours, but please plug your Twitter. It's brilliant for anybody that follows this pod. They'll, they'll really enjoy it. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll shove that on, Peter, when um, when you put this up. Yeah, I think it's uh, Irish Will 83. Um, but yeah, um, Andy and the guys on the Spirit of 16, yeah, it's great. Just, it's, it's primarily it's the Northern Ireland national team, but um, if you just try to sneak some Irish League chat on there as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, and I have to say, congratulations um, with the with the, the pod yourself. It's been it's been brilliant this season. I look forward to, to seeing you continue to grow it and and, uh, and develop it further. Up your wee charmer, Stu. Thank you so much for jumping on. Take it easy.
there we go that's it done all over for another week thank you very much for tuning in once again i appreciate it very very much if you want to hear more well as loads of other episodes on whatever whatever way you're listening to this you can find all the other episodes or you can follow me on social media it's at kicking match on instagram facebook and twitter you can also go hands free if you so desire you can listen to it in whatever room you decide irish smart speaker you can just go hey smart speaker please play kicking match an irish league podcast which reminds me i need to do it right now because i really want to know how my smart speaker tries to pronounce last week's title hopefully they'll be able to nail this one this week without much trouble until next time i will see you in some form online or via here go vote in the poll if you want cheerio (laughs) 